chapter 14 this morning. Matthew chapter 14, and this morning we're going to cover verses 13 through 33. I don't know if you guys heard uh, in the news this last week, uh, I know I saw on Fox News actually, uh, some amazing information regarding a hotel chain back east. And it turns out that what this hotel chain is doing is something that has never been done in 100 years. I don't know if you guys are aware of the fact, but you know most of the hotels you go to today, I think it's somewhere around 90% of all hotels. You go into the hotel, or, you, know, you open up the drawer, and there you'll find a Gideon's Bible. That's been going on for 100 years. And what that really is, in one sense, if you just look at it from an objective perspective, is it's a testimony that this country was a Christian country at one time. It was rooted in the scriptures. You look at the forefathers and the framers of the Constitution. Even though they weren't all Christians, they had the Christian mentality. The majority of them were. They used the Bible to lay the foundation for our country. We were a Christian country at one time, but now I was so grieved by looking at the news, hearing the news regarding this hotel chain back east, and what they're doing now is they're offering what's called a spiritual menu. And so when you get into your room, rather than opening up the Bible and finding a, opening up the drawer and finding a Gideon's Bible, they offer the different books of the faith. They say, if you want a Quran, you just let us know. We'll bring it to your room. If you want uh, uh, the Book of Mormon, just let us know. We'll bring it to your room. And they offer the Scientology, the Hinduism, the Buddhism. They have all the books there to offer to the people. And their explanation is that America is now diverse. And so we need to offer to them a spiritual menu. But see, our country was rooted in Jesus Christ, and we have turned our backs on him. We are not diverse. We, as a whole, are perverse. We have become spiritual adulterers and idolaters, and we are living in a crucial time in history where the church needs to be the church called out, separate, sold out for Jesus Christ. And as we go through our study today, we're going to see you guys what Jesus is. Why would anyone turn from Jesus? He fed the thousands. He walked on water. He healed the hurting. And we need to come back to Jesus and make him our all in all. As we go through our study today, the first thing we're going to see is that Jesus is healing for the hurting. He's healing for the hurting. Because look what it says there in verse 13. When Jesus heard it, he departed from there by boat to a deserted place by himself. But when the multitudes heard it, they followed him on foot from the cities. And when Jesus went out, he saw a great multitude. And he was moved with compassion for them. And notice it says there in verse 14, and healed their sick. That's what Jesus did. If you jump down to verse 34, notice what it says. Kind of the same thing. You know, healing for the hurting. It says in verse 34, And when they had crossed over, they came to the land of Gennesaret. And when the man of that place recognized him, they sent out into all that surrounding region and brought to him all who were sick and begged him that they might only touch the hem of his garment. And as many as touched it were made perfectly well. 
Jesus Christ is healing for the hurting. You know, how many of you here today, just out of curiosity, are, are dysfunctional? I'm just curious. <laughs> you know what? <laughs> we are all dysfunctional in that sense, you guys. I hate to say that, but you know what the bottom line is? If we're on this side of time, if we're on this side of heaven, we are all dysfunctional. Something is discombobulated within us. Something is hurting. For some of you here, it's your bodies, and you're going through things physically. For most of us here, it's our, it's our soul, it's our emotions, and we're, we're hurting inside. And for many of us here, even today, we're hurting spiritually. And Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ can make us perfectly well. And that's the work that he does in our life, you guys. It's a progressive you know, work that the Lord is doing in our life, you know. Even if you think about it, for example, we see the Lord here and he healed these people and, you know, maybe they came to him, we'll just say, you know, they, they had cancer and they came to Christ and he cleansed them of that cancer. Now, that doesn't mean that they didn't go on and live the rest of their life without any physical ailments. At that point in time, God did that work in their life. And that's the way the Lord works in us. We come to him with all the things that are going on, all the baggage that we have, all the dysfunctions that we have. And, you know, we might not even know what it is. There are some people here today that are hurting inside. They have so much pain inside, and they don't even know the exact diagnosis of what's going on inside of them. But the thing is this, just come to Christ. Just come to him and he'll heal you and he'll help you. He can do anything if only we would come to him. See, he's come to us and we need to meet him there as we see the scriptures teach us. Now, if you look at verse 13, Jesus had heard about the death of John the Baptist. And so it says right there, he departed from there by boat to a deserted place by himself. In the Lord's agenda, now it's time to move on. It's wisdom for the plan. It's grieving in his heart. And it's also resting for him and the disciples. Now, if you were to look over at the Gospel of Mark, chapter 6, it says in verse 31 that Jesus said to the disciples, Come aside by yourselves to a deserted place and rest a while. For there were many coming and going, and they did not even have time to eat. And so, in one sense, when you look at the context of what's going on here, Jesus is now moving on, you know, probably because he's grieving over John, probably because of the guidance of the Father, probably because of the wisdom of the plan, but probably primarily because of the rest that they needed. They had been working so hard and they hadn't had time to rest. And so the Lord says, hey, you guys, just take a real mini vacation here. That's what he tells his disciples, right? And just as a quick side note, you guys, I just want to encourage you guys to know this, that it is okay to take a vacation once in a while, man. It's okay to get that rest that you need, to, to recharge, to refresh yourself, times of meditation on the Lord. You know, not all vacations are restful. I know that for sure. Sometimes we go and we're busier there than we are here, but sometimes it's cool to go and in one sense to just veg out, man, to just open up the Bible, ask God to speak to you. You don't have all these sights to see. You just want to see the Lord. And we all need that in our life, you guys. As a matter of fact, a, a wise man by the name of Vance Havner, he said, if we don't come apart, then we'll fall apart <laughs> and we'll all lose heart. And that's why I want to encourage you guys to get 
your rest. Take your power naps, okay? <laughs> Take your vacations of rest and meditation, you know, and even get to bed as led by God. You know, don't uh, take this to the extreme and get lazy or anything. But I want you guys to know that according to the Bible, it's okay to be wise and to get the rest that you need. And yet, even in that, we see here today that we need to be ready for the interruptions that come from God, huh? You know, here we see that the Lord wanted to go away. He wanted to give his disciples the rest that they need. But the people followed them. They went all by boat and maybe the other people went by land and more than likely just like the lord had a special spot there in the garden of gethsemane where they would go and they would pray that's why judas was able to lead him there the lord probably had a special spot here as well a place where it was kind of deserted in one sense and so as he goes there by boat the people then go there by land and it's so cool man because the lord didn't say hey stay out he didn't kick them out. No, he didn't tell them to go away. The Bible says right there in verse 14, notice again, that he was moved with compassion for them and he healed their sick. You see, and, and, I, and that's, that's the heart that the Lord has, you guys, for us. You know, anytime you come to him, I don't care what time it is, what's going on, where you're at, who you are, what you are, if you go to the Lord, he will always receive you unto himself. And he will speak to you and he will minister to you. And that's what we need to come away with. As we look at the study today, as so many people are turning away from Jesus, I encourage you to turn to Jesus and you watch what he'll do in your life. We're all dysfunctional. We need him to heal us of the cancer, the spiritual cancer, the things that are holding us down, that are limiting us, that are hindering us. And, you know, of course, when we look at things from a physical perspective, we know that God doesn't always heal people physically, but he can. He still heals people physically. We have testimonies in this congregation of God supernaturally healing people. We have uh, Carol here. If any of you are curious, Carol went to the doctor. Uh, you know, it's just a matter of a few months ago. They had seen some spots. And so, you know, she was so cool about the whole thing. She would just call in real quietly, real gently, real meekly, and leave her prayer request by faith. She said, I know if I leave a message, someone will get it and they'll pray. And we prayed months. So when they were going to go in there and take that final examination, you know, because they wanted to get a closer look at the things they had seen, next thing you know, the doctor said, it's gone. It's gone. God still does that. Vivian Barbosa, same thing. Supernaturally healed the, the tumor, the mass. It's gone. We've prayed for people Hiral Quinones, Mary Lou Nava. They had situations where maybe they needed surgery. We prayed for them. It was gone. God still does that. Even my dad, I remember my dad, addicted to heroin for 40 years, couldn't kick it. Then one day they laid hands on him. They prayed for him. They prayed with all their heart and God healed him that day. See, God can still do these things according to his will, but we need to make sure that we come and we ask. And God does that work, you know. I just really encourage you guys to know who Jesus is. You know, you might be here today and your body's aching. And a lot of you here are in that situation, huh? Your body's breaking and you find yourself taking so much medication. You can't keep track of the pills and the pains in your life. 
You know, you might be here today, on the other hand, and you're as healthy as a horse. And you look great, which you really do, all do look great today, just to let you know. And you, you feel great. Some of you here are just as fit as a fiddle from a physical sense. But it doesn't matter, you guys. No matter what, either way, I know this. No matter who you are, where you are, how you are, what you are, I know this to be true. Today, we all need His healing hand on our life. Whether it's body, soul, spirit, physical, emotional, spiritual, we need the Lord to intervene. Financial, relational, emotional, congregational. I know this, man. Today, here we are, God. Heal us. God, heal us from these things that are holding us back. God is always working on us. And that's why we need to come to Christ. You know, it's so cool to know today, no matter who you are, that Jesus Christ cares and he's moved with compassion. It's so cool to know that there is help for us, for you. No matter who you are, no matter what you're going through, no matter how bad your marriage is, no matter what the situation is with your children, with your job, with your finances, God is trying to get your attention because of the fact that he loves you so much. And this is all he's saying, come to me with all your heart. He doesn't want just a part of you. He wants all of you. And as you come to him with everything that you are, then he will begin to do that work in your life. It's an amazing thing, the Lord that we served. It's kind of interesting here. The phrase move with compassion is a very expressive word in the Greek language. It means that Jesus' heart was touched to the core, to the point where he must move in a miraculous way. And I just think it's so cool that that's just to know that's the way the Lord sees us. He can heal us physically. On the other hand, there have been times where it's not his will. And in those cases, if you're here today and you're suffering physically, then you want to know something as you give it to the Lord and maybe he says, no, not now, or no, I, I don't want to heal you physically, then you know what that means? That God wants to do a deeper work inside of your life, beyond the skin and into your soul. You know, one of my favorite Bible teachers frequently reminds me as I listen to his studies on the radio, he always says, God doesn't do his deep work in the shallow part. And our bodies, that's kind of the shallow part of who we are. God will do his deepest work by healing your inner man, by healing the inside. And there are some people, man, and it's an amazing thing. They are suffering so much physically, but they are like 100% almost spiritually. You see that. You see the love. You see the life of God in them. And then on the other hand, there are those who are physically fine, and yet... Spiritually and emotionally, they're not. See, we need to know who the Lord is. God is doing such a deep work. And so this morning as we come to Jesus, we come to you, Lord, for our healing. God, we just ask you to heal our outer man if that's your will. Take away that tumor, God. We pray you would cleanse the cancer, the cold. Lord, that you would mend our bodies, even our bones. We've been praying for Joey. That's our prayer. That's our desire. We ask the Lord those things. We beg. We do believe. But more than that, Lord, today we ask that you heal us from the inside. And God can do that, you guys, as you're hurting. As you see the Lord and his love for you, I pray we would see the compassion that he has. 
and that we would recognize him. See, there in verse 14, remember that he has compassion for you. Please understand that he loves you. He cares for you. He wants to move on your behalf. But then look over at verse 35, if you would. It says, and when the men of that place recognized him. Let me ask you a question. Do you recognize him? Do you recognize him as Jehovah, the one that is able to heal us? Jehovah Rapha? Do you recognize that? I pray that you would, because then as you do that, notice what it says right there in verse 36, and begged him that they might only touch the hem of his garment. You see, to reach out and and to touch him. That's what we want, you guys. That's a lot of times our problems. That's why we're not really experiencing that victorious Christian life, the one with love and joy and peace, the one that just blows you away. And yes, we are walking on water. That's why, because we're not really connecting with Christ. Oh, we go to church. Oh, we might read our Bible. Oh, we might pray. Oh, we go through the different motions. But many times we're not really touching. We're not really connecting because we're not reaching the way that we should if you step out if you reach out then the freedom is just one step away and god can set you free he really can you know i was talking to shelly about this uh, yesterday and i was telling her you know it's kind of like you know sometimes people don't uh reach out man and you know maybe they think they're too short i oh i can't reach or whatever you know no no one's too short the lord's arm is long enough His hem is, you know, long enough for us to touch and for God to do the work in our life. We see that over and over again in the Bible, how when people were willing to reach out far enough to touch him, how it changed their life. And so we look at this today. The first thing we see is that Jesus is there and he offers healing for the hurting. And second thing, we see him here today. He offers feeding for the hungry feeding for the hungry because look what it says in verse 15 it says and when it was evening his disciples came to him saying this is a deserted place and the hour is already late send the multitudes away that they may go into the villages and buy themselves food but jesus said to them they do not need to go away you give them something to eat and they said to him we have here only five loaves and two fish He said, bring them here to me. And then he commanded the multitudes to sit down on the grass. And he took the five loaves and the two fish. And looking up to heaven, he blessed and broke and gave the loaves to the disciples. And the disciples gave to the multitudes. And so they all ate and were filled. And they took up 12 baskets full of the fragments that remained. Now those who had eaten were about 5,000 men besides women and children. It's so cool, man, when we study the Bible, we're like, Lord, what do you want us to get out of this? Well, it's so cool just to see who he is and and how he is. And we see that he is there. If you're here today dysfunctional, if you're here today hurting, if you need his touch, if you want to experience his power, then he's available to you. The second thing we see, I, I wonder, not only are you dysfunctional, is there anyone here today who's hungry? And you know what I mean, right? Not that the stomachs are rumbling, but that your heart is rumbling. You know, and you're going through life, and you know what? It's just not, you're just not, you're not, you're just not satisfied. 
You're just not really being fed the way that you want to be fed, that something is missing in your life. And yes, sometimes it is a teacher's fault, but more often than not, you know, it's because our hearts aren't open enough. But Jesus Christ wants to feed you. Jesus Christ wants to feed the hungry. I mean, you look at this right here and you just look at it from a human perspective. Can you imagine, think about this for a second, feeding 5,000 men besides women and children, maybe 15,000 people with just uh, two fish and five loaves. I mean, that is amazing. And yet that's what Jesus did. Obviously, he's more than a man, huh? Obviously, he's God. And we're going to see that, that they recognize that when they look at him. You know, the disciples here, they said, send the multitudes away. We read that there in verse 15. But Jesus commanded the multitudes to sit down on the grass. No, his desire was that they stay, that they be satisfied. And I think it's so cool when you see the heart of the Lord. You know, as you're a Christian, please understand, man, this is his mentality to you. Now, one thing, just as a quick side note here to take into consideration At this moment, in this context, when you look at the whole chronology of the life of Christ, he is training the 12 disciples. You know, he had given his public message to the Jews and all the people, and from a Jewish perspective, they had more or less rejected him. And so now he begins, when you look at the life of Christ, to focus more on the 12, that he would disciple the 12 who would then change the world, who would turn the whole world upside down or right side up. That's what he's doing right here. Now, that's a really important concept to know because remember, God has called us not just to make converts, but to make disciples. And so I want to encourage every single person here to obey the Great Commission, to go out and make disciples of all nations. That as God brings people into your path, you're not going to be able to disciple everybody But you take some people under your wing, some young man, some young woman, some young person, or maybe a younger Christian who needs to be taught these things, and you take discipleship seriously, and you begin to pour into them. Obviously, the Lord, you know, he couldn't disciple 100 people. He took the 12, which is kind of a manageable, you know, amount, and he just lived with them. He spent life with them. He ate with them. He provided for them. He showed them the word. He taught them. He was an example to them. That's what discipleship is. And as a result of that, these guys changed the world. They learned what it was to to be a leader, to be someone who cares for the sheep. Why? Because they saw it. You know, their hearts were, send the people away. And God says, no, that's not a leader. You meet their needs. As a matter of fact, what he was trying to teach them was this. These are my sheep. And find out first what I want before you start sending people away, before you start making decisions. You see, they shouldn't have come to Jesus and say, Lord, send them away. They shouldn't have come to Jesus and give him a command. They should have come to Jesus with a question, Lord, what should we do? It's getting kind of late, and you know what? There's not a lot of food around here. What should we do? And the Lord would have said, cool, perfect. That's the heart that I want. You know what? Let's feed them. And he was training the twelve. He would train the 12 as far as the heart that they would need to have. He would train the 12 as far as who he was that would be with them. It's an amazing thing, you guys, when you look at this. It's so awesome. You know, the heart that the Lord has when he's your shepherd, you know, he won't send you away. Here he commands them 
all to sit down. It says there in verse 19, then he commanded the multitude to sit down on the grass. To sit down on the grass, to have a picnic. You know, when I read that, I can't help but think of Psalm 23, where the Bible says, the Lord is my shepherd, I I shall not lack. He makes me to lie down in the the green pastures. You know, he leads me beside the, the still waters. Now, you guys know, huh, to make a sheep lie down, to make a sheep sit down, he would have to have peace. And I just pray that you would have peace, that there wouldn't be anyone here anxious, worried, troubled, fretting, worrying, but that you would know God is on the throne, that the Lord is your shepherd, and wherever you're at right now, that you can lie down on the green pastures. And as you do that, he will feed you and he will satisfy your soul. Here the Lord was teaching these guys these lessons that they were the people of God and that they needed to find out what God wanted them to do before they made decisions. Uh, A second thing I think that he was teaching the disciples is this, that give to God what you have. Give to God what you have. Lord, there's 5,000 here and all we have is this. And God says, bring them to me. Give them to me. And as you give to God what you have, your meager resources, you know, we don't really have anything that can really help a heart. We don't have anything that can save a soul. We don't have anything that can break addictions of crystal and meth and heroin. That We don't have anything that can heal sexual sin. We don't have anything that can help anyone, but God does. And God just says, okay, you give me what you have. Oh, I have a body. Okay, give me your body. I have lips. Okay, give me your lips. I have time. Okay, give me your time. I have a little bit of treasure, just a little bit. God says, you give that to me and watch what I do. You know, if you give God everything you have, even though you might not think it's enough, he will take it, he will break it, bless it, and he will give it away. And that's what he was trying to teach these guys. It's an amazing thing because after they yielded to God everything that they had, the Bible says that when it was all said and done, they had more than they started with. And isn't that the principle of God? Isn't that the way it works, you guys? You give God the first fruits, he'll blow your mind. You say, oh, I'm too busy to give to God any time. Well, you give God time and you watch how he cushions everything. Oh, I don't have enough money to give to God. You know what? You give to God off the top and you watch how he will provide for your every need and he will set you free from materialism. We give to God and it's so amazing. Spurgeon said this, there was more provision after the feeding than before it. By feeding others, our stocks increase. And that's the life that we live. That's what the Lord is trying to teach the disciples, that they're the people of God, that we must give to God. And of course this, that there is the provision of God. It doesn't matter how many people there are. It doesn't matter how much money you owe. It doesn't matter how much money you need. It doesn't matter what the situation is here. I know there are some here today that you think yours is too big. You think your mountain is too big, that your situation is beyond hope. But you need to banish that thought. See, God can provide, and he will, wherever he guides. The Lord is our provider. He is Jehovah Rapha, our healer. He is Jehovah Jireh, our provider. 
And that's why today we must turn again with all our heart to Jesus Christ. Don't let anything come before him in your relationships in life. And then the last thing, and there are so many things here, to, you know, but one other thing that we see here is just how we are need to be good stewards of God. I think he's teaching them that this here. In verse 20, it says, And so they all ate and were filled. Uh, and that word filled, it means, man, they were stuffed. <laughs> they couldn't move, okay? <laughs> and then it says, And they took up 12 baskets full of the fragments that remained. Now, the other, the other uh, gospel, Mark chapter 6, it tells us that the Lord told them to gather up the fragments that they wouldn't lose anything. And I just think that's a really cool principle, you guys. You know, you go to claim jumpers and they give you 10 times more food than you need, right? <laughs> no one here has ever eaten a full meal at claim jumpers, right? Okay. <laughs> and so you take it home, you put it in the doggy bag. You don't let it go to waste. We as Americans, unfortunately, we're a wasteful society. And that's not the mentality of God. God says, no, gather up the fragments. There's 12 baskets left. And that's the way we need to be as well. We need to be good stewards. And though, so the Lord just teaches us, you know what? I, I will meet the needs. I really will. It's so cool when you feed on the Lord's faithfulness. When you find your hunger satisfied by God. He will do that work if we allow him. You know, if you're here today and you have roots of bitterness, there are things inside you that you're upset about, you're upset at him, you're upset at her, you're upset at that. I'm just telling you right now, God won't be able to work in your life. God won't be able to work in your life. And we really want the Lord to work. We want him to heal us. We want him to feed us. We want him to do the things that only he can do. And so we look at our study this morning, you guys. We see how he heals the hurting, how he feeds the 5,000. And then the last thing is this, and this is my favorite because it's been hot. It's a water sport thing here. How, how he walks on water. It's an amazing thing. Look at verse 22. It says, Immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he sent the multitudes away. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. Now when evening came, he was alone there. But the boat was now in the middle of the sea, tossed by the waves, for the wind was contrary. Now in the fourth watch of the night, that's between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. This is real early. In the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them, walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It's a ghost. And they cried out for fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Be of good cheer. It is I. Do not be afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And so he said, Come. And when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said to him, O oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. And those who were in the boat came and worshipped him, saying, Truly you are the Son of God. 
What can we learn this morning? What can we take from these scriptures that will change our life and that will change the lives of the people around us, the people that are hurting around us? Well, I pray we would learn that Jesus Christ is help and healing for the hurting, and that includes us. And so let's come to him. Let's recognize him. Let's touch him. Let's connect with him. Let's not pretend. Let's not just go so far. Let's go all the way. Let's be Jesus freaks. Let's really love the Lord with all our heart and soul and mind and strength. And then, you know, we learn from him how he's able to feed the 5,000. And he trains us regarding ministry, but he shows us who he is. He will satisfy us. He can satisfy us. But then the last thing is this. What is this whole thing about walking on water? And and there's a lot of things in this. I I wanted to slow down just a little bit and look at this. The first thing we see is the plan. Again, verse 22, after Jesus made his disciples get into the boat, he says, you know, go before me. He says, I I want you guys to go to the other side. There's the plan. And that can mean a lot of things, you know. I think one thing it might mean, you know, is that we have the other side, that you guys, one day when we die, we're going to be on the other side. That if you've given your life to Christ, we're going to go to heaven one day there on on the other side. And so you can rest in that because God spoke over your life. I'm taking you to the other side. And even though we go through hard times, it's such a neat thing, but also just the different plans and steps in our life. God says, hey, this is what I want for your life. And so in that, there should have been a rest, but you know what? Maybe there wasn't. So we see, first of all, the plan. The second thing we see regarding the whole situation is the prayer. Verse 23, Jesus said to everybody, go away. I need to be alone with my father. And he just began to pray. Spurgeon said this, he went up into a mountain apart in a place where he might speak aloud and not be overheard or disturbed. He communes with the Father alone. He drinks in new strength. And that's what we need to do as well. You guys, if Jesus needed to pray like this, how about us? Do we have this mentality? Do we have this heart where we go, you know, send everybody away? We have this special spot, so to speak, and we spend time with our father you know if you can get this right you're going to be all right i I know this is the key to life as a christian i just know it is you know i was uh, thinking about my daughter and just hopefully uh, i can just share with you guys just a little bit about our relationship and it might shed light a little on this you know because you know my daughter ariel she's kind of unfortunately inherited some of the genes from her father uh they're called shy genes and (laughs) And yet she's, you know, she's quiet, she's shy. Now, some people might even mistake that for uh, things that are not good. I, I remember when I was growing up, even in high school, I was so shy that people thought I was stuck up. They, they really did. And Shelly actually thought that about me. But I was just so shy. It was hard for me to talk to people. And I would turn red and just different things. And, uh, you know, um, my daughter's kind of like that. She's kind of shy. But not with me. You know what? Her and I, we have beautiful conversations. And I, and I see her and I love her. She's precious. She is beautiful. I see that. 
Now, maybe not everyone else sees that yet, but one day they will. And that's the way it is for us, you guys, in life. You know, you have a father. And you have conversations with him that are intimate, that are personal, that you pour out your heart to him, that maybe you don't have with anyone else. And as that falls in place, as you guys, we cultivate seriously a prayer life in life like Jesus did, then you watch what he does, man. It's an amazing thing. Here we see the Lord as he was praying right there. I mean, he knew everything that was going on. But, you know, when he was praying, the third thing we see regarding this walking on water issue is that there was a peril going on. Again, there in verse 24, the boat was now in the middle of the sea, tossed by the waves, for the wind was contrary. And so they've been out there for many hours. And the Bible says they were struggling they were straining. And here we are today. Many of us are dysfunctional disciples. Amen? Amen? And many of us here are struggling saints. Amen? Amen. And you find yourself in life and, you know, it's like, man, you know, there you are. You're straining and rowing and the Lord told you to do this and you're in the middle of the sea now. And all of a sudden, man, this gust of wind comes through the gullies there in the mountains and it would happen suddenly. And there you find yourself in a great peril. There you are in a situation that you just don't understand. You don't know exactly what's going to happen. And it can be easy for us to panic at that point. You know, the storms would come quickly there in the Lake of Galilee. The wind would rush down between the mountains and it would just cause crazy chaos to the little boats that were there inside. But the cool thing is this, and for this, let's turn over to the Gospel of Mark, you guys, if you would. And... uh, Because we see the plan, the prayer, the peril, but we also need to see the perspective. Because look what it says in Mark chapter 6. In verse 47, we pick it up. It says, And now when evening came, the boat was in the middle of the sea, and he was alone on the land. And notice it says, And then he saw them straining and rowing. For the wind was against them. Now, about the fourth watch of the night, all this took place. The perspective is the fact that Jesus Christ sees you guys, that he sees us. He sees the situation that we're in. Our way is not hidden from him. He sees everything you're going through. You know, we go through life and uh, sometimes we, you know, want to be control freaks. I know I am. You know, sometimes people will come to my desk and they'll... They'll make all my papers crooked, and it just drives me crazy, man. You know, I like things straight, boom, 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 and my books are all there, and so they'll come, and they'll, you know, or disorganize them, and just different things, and, you know, we, we become control freaks. A lot of you here, you don't even realize that you're control freaks. You want everything to be the way that it's, you know, it's set in your mind, and, and God says, no, you know what, that's not really the way it works. We want God to be in control not us and as God is in control you're going to find that he's doing a work that is so deeper that you'll never see you haven't seen yet and that's why we're going through the things that we're going through many times sometimes it's because we've disobeyed God sometimes it's because we haven't followed him and we know that and he'll show us he won't spank us without telling us why But sometimes it's just because of the fact that he's doing a deeper work. You want to know what he's doing here with these guys? 
He's showing them how strong he is. That all the trials and all the chaos and all the craziness is going to be underneath his feet. That he's in full control of the situation. You know, we live this life, and you know what? I was thinking about this, and I'm sure this is an illustration you've thought. You know, when we drive in life, there's a couple of things going on, right? You know, you're driving, and, you know, you're, you're not on the cell phone or anything. You guys are good, safe drivers, right? <laughs> and, you know, we're going, and, and we're abiding by the rules of the, the laws of the land, and, you know, uh, but, you know, as you're driving, did you know that other people are driving? <laughs> And that it takes cooperation. And I was telling my kids this, not to scare them, but just to save them. No, I'm just joking. I was telling them this the other day. I said, you know, you just never know. what You might get in an accident. Someone might run that red light and boom, it's over. I mean, why? Because it takes two to tangle. We've got this life that we're living, right? And, you know, as we keep our eyes on the Lord, it's so cool the way things work out. But when we get our eyes on anyone else, then it gets so hard. You can't control the way people are. You can't control them. You can't control the way you feel. You can't control the way you feel. You can't control the thoughts that come in your mind. They come in. You try to bring them into captivity. You don't dwell on them, but you can't control. You can't control a lot of things other than your reactions, other than the thoughts that you will dwell on. And those are the things that God wants to get right in our life as we look and see who he is. Here these guys were being taught by God. And they were being taught this, that in spite of the fact that they were there struggling in the middle of the sea, they didn't realize it yet, but they would realize it soon enough that God saw everything that was going on. He had a front row seat, and in his perfect timing, the next thing is that he would come and he would walk towards them. And that's what we see back in Matthew. You know, the Lord just began to walk on water. It's so cool. Think about that, walking on water. Man, that's such an awesome thought. You know, not too long ago, I don't know if you guys knew about this, but this is a true story. A man died trying to walk on water. It was in the South Pacific. He thought he could impress other people. He was going to show his faith. And he went out and tried to walk on water in arrogance and pride. And the waters swept him away. God walked on water. We see the power of Christ, but then we also see the power of Christians because then Peter walked on water. Now that is cool. <laughs> Lord, he, he said, Lord, if that's you, bid me to come to you. And the Lord said, come. And then Peter went out and he started walking on water. And you know, I think that maybe literally maybe that's not what God wants because what good does that really do other than having fun? <laughs> You know, God will usually only do miracles that, you know, accomplish something good. And so it's all part of his divine intervention, the big plan that he has. And so, you know, but as far as the things that go on in our life, walking supernaturally, walking above our circumstances, walking above our emotions and the things that we're going through in life, the struggles that we have, we can do that if we keep our eyes on the Lord. If we stay focused. You know, I have a picture here, I think, of a, of a guy. No, there's three that have actually walked on water. Can you guys see this guy right here? <laughs> see him there walking on water? Actually, it's not a real thing. It's kind of a fact, you know, email thing. But um, even though that right there is pretend, in our life, this can be real. That God would walk on water. Let's go back to the other thing, because this is kind of funky right here. <laughs> 
I pray, man, that we would know that God wants to do the work in our life. The Bible says what? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. We can defy gravity. We can triumph over all our troubles. This is to be the walk of faith for us as Christians. And so we see all the things that the Lord is doing here. And then the last thing is this. He wants to show us who he is. Because look what it says there in verse 33. And then those who were in the boat, they came and they worshipped him, saying, truly, you are the son of God. And that's what I pray we would come away with today. You know, a lot of people will look at the feeding of the 5,000 and they miss the power of Jesus Christ. Or they might look at the walking on water and they miss the power of Jesus Christ. And God wants to show us his power. God wants to show us his person, that this is the one we are to pay homage to. This is the one that we worship. Now, I don't know if you guys have done this lately, you know, but just to get on your face and just to fall before the Lord in that proskuneo and that homage and that worship. And it's a cool thing to do. I encourage you to do that. I encourage you that as we sing the songs that you lift your hands and you think of the Lord and you focus on him and you worship him in that way as a single act there of surrender to him, just acknowledging who he is. He's the the one who made everything, who sits on the throne and, and you fall before him. But more than that, worship is a life. It's a life that we live. It's not just a song that we sing. It's a life that we live. And the Lord really hit me hard with this. As I was in my garage, you know, spending time there with, you know, the, the bugs and squirrels and stuff that are out there in the backyard. And then I was thinking, Lord, I mean, I see this study right here, and I think it's so cool showing us who you are and what you want to do. But Lord, give me one more thing. Really, what is the application here? And this is what the Lord told me. I want you to see who I am. And I want you to go and then walk worthy of such a great salvation. You go back into the house and you love your wife. And you love your children. And you live a life of obedience. That's where it always ends up. That's what worship is. And that's what God wants us to know today, you guys. I know that we struggle in things and, you know, we insist and we resist But God just wants us to live a life of obedience. And as a result of that, he will bless your life. You know, I was telling my son with, you know, this. And we always, you know, have these deep conversations, Aaron and I. And, you know, I don't know if you guys know this or not, but he loves to play the piano. I mean, he could just do that, you know, 24 hours, man. God has obviously given him a gift of playing the piano. And, um, you know, but every once in a while, he disobeys us. Some kids do that. I don't don't know why. And so I'd say, you know, and don't, thank God Bob Young is not here because sometimes I'll discipline Aaron by telling him, I'm sorry, son, you can't practice today. <laughs> and it just freaks him out. Dad, I need to practice. Dad, you know, I'm having to study, and if I don't know this song, I mean, the lesson, and if I don't know, I need to practice. <laughs> and I tell Aaron, you know what? You don't need to practice. I, as a father... I will always give you, son, what you need. I will give you food. I will give you clothes to the best of my ability. I will always give you a roof over your head, and I will give you unconditional love. There are things that you need that no matter how you act, I will always give you. 
But there are other things that are beyond the needs. They're the wants. They're the privileges in life. And I say, those things, son, you and I have got to work together. You've got to obey us. You've got to honor your mom and me. And then you get the video game for half an hour. <laughs> and then you get the hot Cheetos. <laughs> and then you can play the piano. And that's the way it is with the Lord as well. And God will always give you what you need. And if for some reason the day comes for you to die and you don't get the food, that's because it's the day to die. But he will always give you what you need. But as far as the wants that you have and the dreams that you have and the desires that you have, a lot of that has to do with whether or not you and I are going to choose to obey him and to love him. And so I just want to encourage you guys today to love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength, to obey him, which is better than sacrifice. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your love and your grace, Lord. We thank you so much, Father, for your word and just so many things here, Lord, that I know your Holy Spirit will take and then just water and bring to pass in our life. Help us to know what it really means to be a Christian, Lord, to be a Christian in the days that we live in, Lord. Help us know what it is to worship you, to make disciples, Lord, to be healed, to be fed, to walk on water, all these things. Lord, I pray that today, especially everyone here, Lord, would not buy into any part or portion of pluralism or adultery or idolatry, Lord, but that today we would focus on the mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. Oh, Lord, we thank you so much for this time. And we pray, Lord, that you would be with us now and the rest of the day. And Father, if there's anyone here who doesn't know you, Lord, if there's anyone here who's not a Christian, God, they came today and maybe they're hurting inside or aching inside, I pray, Father, that even now you would speak to their hearts of the love that you have, how you love us, how you love them, and that today, Lord, by your spirit, Lord God, they would choose, we would choose to follow Jesus Christ, to turn from all our sins, to turn from our old ways. And Lord, that today we would choose to follow you. Lord, we just love you. We thank you. That's our prayer. Lord, that's our heart. And Father, we just ask that you would do this work. And we pray together in Jesus' name. Amen.